Thank you, Andy. Hi, everyone. My name is Shay Meddings, and I'm the host of the Mental As Anyone podcast. I'm a psychologist, and I interview comedians and other entertainers about their mental health with the aim of helping to increase understanding and awareness of mental health. I've had some really insightful and interesting conversations, including with Andy, and I encourage you to have a listen. So find Mental As Anyone through the Facebook page, on iTunes or other podcasting platforms. Stay safe and well. Hey, welcome back to the Andy Social Podcast. And before we kick into this week's episode, come and join me on Patreon, patreon.com slash Andy Dowling, the best way to support this podcast and supports us for only a buck a month. Dirt cheap, set and forget it. And there are additional tiers if you want access to a bunch of free shit. A quick little thanks to the entire freaking list over at Patreon. Let's do it. Urgh, thank you very much to Ryan from Adelaide, Andrew from Perth, McGee from Sydney, Ash from Dan from Dapto, Riley from Sydney, the Toyota guys from Melbourne, Lords of the Triton from Madison, Wisconsin, Sean from Oregon in the US, Johnny from South Australia, Zach from Adelaide, Rod from Rayleigh in North Carolina, Matt from Adelaide, Saul from Oxford in the UK, Patrick from Canberra, Liam from Brisbane, Tom from Melbourne, Chris from Sydney, Frank from Untergruppenbach in Germany, Lewis from Ellie Beach, Turner from Armadale, Samantha from Sydney, Brendo from Leighton, Tim from Canberra, James from Brisbane, Bradley from Canberra, Sean from Melbourne, Kurt from Brisbane. Jason from Adelaide, Christian from Canberra, Cole from Port Campbell, Jordan from Bendigo, Steve from the Gold Coast, Blooming Theatricals from Melbourne, Christopher from Pace in Florida, Ben from Cincinnati in Ohio. Come on, Andy, you can do it. Veronica from Adelaide, Scott from Melbourne, Tristan from Melbourne. Bloody hell, I'm, I'm, come on, I'm, I'm falling apart here. Tristan from Melbourne, Gareth from Perth, Chris from Adelaide, Fierce Deity from Hobart, and Glenn from Canberra. Thank you very much, folks. Legends. These people are massive supporters of Patreon. Come and join me over at patreon.com slash Andy Down. Hey, welcome back to the Andy Social Podcast, episode 279. And my guest on this episode is Tom Roberts. And if you're an Australian musician, you might be familiar with Tom, uh, Tom personally, or just his name, or just jogs the memory, uh, because and probably some international musicians as well, because Tom had his own radio show and podcast for, for quite a number of years called The Full Metal Lockdown. And uh, I was on there, and, and a lot of my my mates in the Australian metal uh, community have been on Tom's podcast, and uh, an amazing interviewer. Um, I had an absolute pleasure uh, speaking to him many years ago, and um, I'm sure like our chat's still floating around somewhere. Maybe I should find that. I might link that in the in the show notes if I remember. If I don't remember, folks, can someone give me a nudge, and I'll I'll chuck it in there if I can find it. Um, but uh, obviously, in music, um, he's been very prominent uh, with with uh, interviewing a lot of amazing musicians. He's also been a gig booker, a promoter. He's been a musician. Um, and, um, and he's also been, he's about to become a high school teacher as well. He's been studying for the past several years, uh, a very busy guy. He's been involved in a lot of stuff, but the elephant in the room, which is me sort of awkwardly trying to, uh, you know, approach a subject is that Tom is in a wheelchair and Tom was diagnosed, uh, with a disorder at the age of 14 called, and I'm going to butcher this, but I'm pretty sure it's Frederick's ataxia, ataxia. And uh, he's been in a wheelchair since uh, his early 20s. And uh, just ever since he was diagnosed at the age of 14, he has lived an incredible life and continues to do so. And uh, we just scraped the surface in this chat. We spoke for a long time. This is an epic chat uh, and probably one for the ages when it comes to the Antisocial Podcast. Um, I just I absolutely love this chat. I haven't laughed this much in a long time. Uh, just an absolute legend of a guy and just a great sense of humor and great outlook on life and just had an absolute ball. So I'm going to put links to Tom in the show notes. 
Uh, some of the stuff that we spoke about, if there's anything that we're, that I forget, um, please, yeah, as I said before, give me a nudge and I'll add it into the show notes. I'll have some of his old music in there as well. Um, but yeah, an absolute legend. Um, I, I really think you guys will get a, get a kick out of this chat. It was, it was a hell of a lot of fun. Really enjoyed it. So what do I usually say? Uh, enough crapping on from me. Please enjoy this great chat with Tom Roberts. How long have you lived in uh, Batemans for? Uh, shit. I grew up down here, actually, and then I moved away in 04, and I came back in 2012. Well, where'd you so, go in that, in that gap? Uh, Orange. Oh, God. Uh, Central West. Well, what, yeah. what was that like? Uh, it would piss off my dad to say this, but I fucking hated it. <laughs> <laughs> what just I mean Bateman Bateman's Bay is pretty it's a pretty cruisy place it's a nice place um but I would assume that out that way it'd probably be the same but I guess just I don't know a little bit more dull maybe yeah there's like there's no beaches or anything so there's a little bit less to do uh there's 32 between every pub and club there are 32 bars range <laughs> It explains it's, a lot. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, a mining town that's also a transport hub, so you can imagine what goes on out there. Oh, man, that's right. <laughs> the, the, the the rough rural centre of Orange, far out. <laughs> yeah, I've, yeah. Um, I've been to Batemans Bay a few times over the years, and uh, I was living a little bit closer to you up until a, a couple of years ago and uh, it's a it's a beautiful part of the world it's just it's such a nice nice place and as you said before like you know you you sort of pay the price a little bit don't you because you get to live in like this this sort of paradise sort of part of the world but then it's also susceptible to like just horrific storms and then you've got bushfires and all the likes so you've it really sort of keeps you on your toes yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, we got hit by the bushfires and a little bit north of us, straight after the bushfires, they got hit by flooding. Oh. And then uh, straight after that, the coronavirus. And then uh, the bridge has been knocked down and a new bridge has been built, so traffic's terrible. <laughs> and then over the holidays, <laughs> it becomes a madhouse because everybody from Canberra decides that Bateman's Bay is the place they want to be. No, oh, that's right. Get out get out of my town, city slickers. <laughs> uh, uh, thankfully, I don't really I, – I don't like the traffic, but I don't mind the tourism because we've missed out on it last three years in a row. Yeah, that's or right. Or two years in a row. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah, inject a bit of money back in back into the area. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It would have been, um, been pretty touch and go. Well, I mean, I was going to say like last 12 months, but yeah, the last couple of years with the bushfires as well, I mean – you know, so many places down sort of the South Coast just rely on, like, just traditional business, like, you know, services and, and you know, serving people food, hospitality, you know, restaurants, clubs, all that sort of stuff, and, and tourism, you know, Airbnbs and these beach homes. And, man, like, you lose that, and that's just, I mean, I don't know what the percentage would be, but it'd be pretty high. Yeah, well, like, the economics of the area got impacted, like, hard, mm. like, really fucking hard. And uh, some of the hotels around the area still have families that had their houses burned down during the bushfires. They're still staying in the hotels. Oh, really? Wow. After all that yeah. time? Yeah. Oh, man. I, I remember reading um, 
uh, an article, oh, it must have been months ago. It, it, it would have had to have been before the coronavirus because otherwise you, you wouldn't even see the article. Everyone's distracted by by COVID these days. But um, I remember like people sort of having a real tough time of sort of rebuilding or even getting some any sort of government assistance or, or insurance because there was some loophole in their policies and they couldn't rebuild. And so they're sitting in limbo and probably like, yeah. like you said, sitting in this in like emergency accommodation, just trying to work out when, when things are going to start moving again. Yeah, exactly. Like some of the places have rebuilt, some of them just totally demolished their houses and moved out of state. Yeah. Just, just right? out because they couldn't, yeah, they couldn't afford to rebuild or that was just cheaper for them to go live with family or yeah. Different circumstances, I guess. Yeah. Well, we were very lucky. The bushfires came into because we back on the river reserve. Mm. The bushfires came up and like pretty much singed our back fence. Wow! And the firefighters thankfully stopped it before it got into our property. Oh. Like I say, property it's our backyard, but still, yeah. yeah. Oh man, we've got we've got a place in uh, Bomaderry. And we were already up in Sydney when a lot of the bushfires are happening sort of further up towards now and just watching like the, uh, there's like an app for like New South Wales fire or whatever. And it's, yeah. got, the, it's got the map and I'm just watching like the, the yellow and the red zones just getting closer and closer to our property. I'm like, oh, fuck off. Come on. Get, get away from my place, please. Oh, I was pretty much addicted to that app. Like every, <laughs> literally every five minutes, I was checking it, going, "Holy shit, it's closer! Holy shit, it's closer! Holy shit, it's closer!" The worst part is my daughter, my uh, daughter, she was seven or no eight. She just turned eight. She was in Orange, and we had a five-year-old son with us. Uh, or no, he was four at the time. Uh, with us, so we were all separated. And all we could think of was screw the house. We've got to figure out how to get up to my parents' house in Orange where she's staying. So we ended up having to backtrack through Bigger, go up the Brown Mountain, up through Canberra, up through Cooma, and then over to Orange. Oh, my God. And it, it turned a five-hour, five roughly, trip into a 12-hour trip. <laughs> Actually, oh. no, it was, would have been longer than that. It was 11 just to get to Canberra. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, because all the uh, the uh, traffic was so crazy, everybody trying to get out. Oh, man, that's, uh, I mean, whatever it takes, hey. I mean, it just it doesn't even matter anymore as long as you've got a way to, to just get away. You know, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how long it takes, just as long as you're moving. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it was a pretty active time, really. <laughs> How how does um how did the well, I mean whether you guys got anxiety or not but how, like the stress and just just the overwhelming feeling about the whole situation but I I mean I'm just taking a stab in the dark here but because of the, the situation that you're in personally as well you know you're not the most mobile of people out there so did that did that sort of add an extra element of sort of stress and considerations that you as a family had to to, to sort of consider as, as you were trying to evacuate or even just leading up to that point where you had to get out? Oh, hell yeah. Like, uh, <laughs> uh, we, we had to call up the, the uh, rural fire service, rural, sorry, rural fire service, 
and ask them, like, uh, how should we do this? And they're like, is he in a wheelchair? Yes. Okay, uh, get out of Baton's way now because if uh, it comes any closer and we have to get you out of your house, that's an entire truck, entire cruise worth of people mm. dedicated to getting one person out of his house when they could be saving four houses. Yeah, wow. Well. If you know what I mean. So we took their advice and we just got out because Bateman's Bay was without power for about four days, <sighs> four, four or five days or would have been. It must have been. I mean, yeah, it must have been really, really terrifying just to sort of – because you just don't know and, and especially like – Man, like, you know, you just, you know, no doubt because you were glued to that app, you were probably glued to every news feed as well, seeing, looking for all the updates and, you know, it's serious, but of course, like, you know, the media hypes it all up as well. So you hear like the most extreme cases and stories that are coming out of this situation and it's just like, oh, what a whirlwind of just chaos. Well, on the New Year's fires, like the, the day the big one hit and wiped out, the little village of Mogo and Malua Bay mm. that just on the outskirts of Baton's Bay. Uh, we got a, my wife and I were woken up uh, from a siren going off and we're like, what the hell? And it was our landline, which we used to have and it's archaic. So we don't use it anymore, yeah. <laughs> but uh, we should probably plug it back in actually. Cause this was why it's useful, but uh, it was our answering machine going off. It's saying, this is not a drill, this is triple O, we need you to evacuate right now. Ugh. And it was playing on repeat. And we're like, what the hell? And we looked at our phones and it said, uh, Malua Bay is about to be hit. And we're like, oh, crap. And then uh, my wife called the fire service, like the emergency line, to see how long we actually had. And they said, stay off the roads because we need the people from Alua Bay and Mogo to use them to get out mm. pretty much. And so the fire trucks can get in. Then uh, we said, okay, then. And they said, well, just prepare because you will have to leave soon. Uh, so about... Uh, uh, 10 minutes later, we got a phone call saying this is uh, the same message, but I was telling Sunshine Bay, which is the area that I live in, to get out pretty much. So uh, my wife had already packed the car the night before because we knew something was going to go down. Woke up my son, got him into the car, helped me out of the car. Wife ran back in for something, and I'm thinking to myself, because I rarely ever panic. Sometimes it's a good thing. Sometimes it's a bad thing. But <laughs> I rarely ever panic. And I looked over my roof, and you could literally—I could literally see the flames from the forestry behind that, mm. uh, like the Duns Creek forestry, which is about a, a half a kilometer away from our house. And I'm looking over the top, I can see them just flying over the top, and then. Uh, a bunch of burning leaves falling from the sky, and I'm like, oh, okay. Literally, I've never done this, and it hurt my knee. I jumped into the car, and I started honking the horn to me. My wife, hurry up. <laughs> and then we got into the car. We got down to the evac point in this sporting area called Hangin' Rock, uh, and literally as we were out, the roundabout to turn into the evac center, 
we got a message over our phone saying, if you're in Sunshine Bay and you have not left your house, it's too late. Bunker down somewhere where you won't die. Oh, God. Yeah. And then the fire pretty much ripped through the area. Luckily, like most of my neighborhood was the firefighter stopped it from actually hitting because I live right on the edge where the suburbia starts. Mm. So if it hit us, it just would have ripped through the entire uh, neighborhood pretty much. Oh, man. Oh, I can't yeah. begin to imagine that. I mean, they're just those alerts and the the answering yeah. machine. It's like something out of some sort of uh, disaster movie, you know. Something yeah. you at the edge of your seat going, oh, my God, like starting to sweat, but it's, it's, it's real That's life, That's what man. I was starting to think of. Like, when I first all started, I was like, well, this is something out of World War Z with <laughs> Brad Pitt. Yeah. I'm like, holy crap, this is crazy. I'm like... Cars were like trying to rear end us because we stopped at a set of lights and the light went green, but we could see two fire trucks shooting through, mm. about to shoot through the thing. And this guy in a massive four wheel drive with the bull bar was trying to ram the back of our van to make us hurry the fuck up. Oh, God. And I, I literally hung out the window and told him to settle down. Or well, I actually said some other words but (laughs) (laughs) but uh yeah i pretty much told him to piss off and then i told him to look over at the fire trucks and then they went through them my wife just sped off as Mm. quick she could god man oh man yeah so how long how long were you out of town for when like obviously you evacuated and things things got pretty pretty hairy in the area but when when did you decide to start moving back? Because uh, initially we went away for Christmas and then all the fires started in the uh, narrow, that, the Carawan fire, mm. which is the narrow one. Yep. And so we, uh, and the Clive Mountain, which is the main the King's Highway, was shut off pretty much. So we came back down through Sydney. And when we got home, we were home for uh, literally one night before the big New Year's fires happened. Well, like, we shouldn't have come home. And then uh, we evacuated about two days after that to Orange. Then we were in Orange for about, oh, I think it was about three weeks. Mm. Yeah. Because oh. uh, we we ended up coming back, and then about uh, two weeks after that, they opened the King's Highway. And it's the King, the uh, Clyde Mountain is still, uh, the way I describe it is no one in the movies, those guys have those really bad hair plugs. Yeah. That's what the Clyde Mountain looks like. Oh, God. It's got no shrubbery whatsoever. Just absolutely cleared. Yeah. It's just charcoal tree stumps everywhere. It's brutal. I can't even. Like, I can't even begin to imagine sort of how much of, I mean, obviously towns were just absolutely, you know, just flattened because of this fire or these fires, I should say. But um, until you see some footage or people start talking about the size of it, it's really hard to grasp just how big these fires were. Like, they were just absolutely ginormous. I just, and it's even now, like, when I start to sort of think about it, it's really hard to sort of wrap your head around 
and the size of them, and especially when these fires were getting close to each other as well, they were starting to 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 sort of connect. And it's like, oh my god, you got this like literal war wall of death just coming coming towards these towns. Yeah, it's uh oh. Actually, I've been in walls of death, and they aren't <laughs> as scary as what was happening. But uh, we live about about ten kilometers away from the Princess Highway, if by road. Hmm. And uh, we got a message saying uh, the Carawan fire, which swept down through the King's highway and it collided with the one in the king's highway and it moved down that's the one that eventually it us it was about to jump the uh the princess highway <sighs> and into dunce creek forestry and then uh with about 10 minutes later we got a call, uh, message saying it had gone through the dunce creek forestry already it not only jumped, it traveled 10 kilometers within 10 minutes. Oh, just it was moving insane. that fast. Insane. Yeah. It just, oh, it's just so hard to, hard to wrap your head around it unless you're unfortunately there or close to the action where you, you sort of get a, get a real glimpse or, or an understanding of just how immense, immense this stuff is. It's just, oh. And it was just, it was just our worlds for a long time there. I mean, obviously yeah. for you guys down there further further south, I mean, it was it was just it wasn't it wasn't just a reality. I mean, it was it was literally you know life or death situations that were going on. But I mean, a, a lot of people you know on the east coast just copped whether it just be smoke in the city up in up in Sydney or whatever it is. And it was just that was all that people were thinking about and all that people could see and just such an overwhelming. Uh, period of time and then you sort of come out of that and things start to calm down and people look to look to rebuild and and get back on with their lives and uh and then you get this this stupid bloody pandemic kicks in and <laughs> it knocks everyone for six yeah oh, man. It, it almost seems like a literal lifetime ago and mm. it was like a little over a year ago yeah yeah it feels like a long time ago just so yeah. much has happened in such a short space of time i mean you know uh I'm sure you're the same as me. Like you, you grab your phone or whatever, or you, you're on a PC and you're flicking through, you know, your your um your news feed on whatever social media app you're on, and just the amount of stuff that's always going on twenty four seven around the world, and because everything's so well reported these days, as far as you know, you get information like as soon as it happens. It's just it's so exhausting because you're just like, oh my god, like it's just every like things that you would you know for maybe our parents. You know, what we experienced in probably the last 12 months through the media and everything going on in the world would have been like a lifetime of our parents, like just like of the amount of stuff that people would have experienced. And for us, it's just like, it's become a norm now. It's just a norm. Just you turn on your phone in the morning, you look at it and you go, oh my God, what's going on now? Yeah, exactly. And like, I, I don't know how good that is, if you know what I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, like yeah, it's a uh, interesting time to live in. I'll say that much for it. Yeah, definitely. So, so I've got to, I've got to ask you. I'm trying to think of a way to to sort of to 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 sort of turn into this uh, into this sort of part of, of the podcast. But you know, we we sort of alluded to it before that uh, you're you're a guy in a wheelchair, and yep. uh, I think obviously that's. You know, something that is immediately noticed when you're out and about, and I'm sure you've 
you've copped punishes for for many many years, picking your brain, going, "What's going on, mate? Like, what's 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 your story?" <laughs> well, I'm I'm going to do the same for you. What's what's your story, mate? So what? So how did, how did you get into the situation that you're in? Well, uh, to uh, make it uh, not so much clear, but to start the story. I have to go right back to when I was about six or seven. Mm. And don't worry, it doesn't stay back there for long. <laughs> you take your time, <laughs> mate. <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be a long ass story, but it's, it is, it is. but that part's not long. Uh, when I was about six or seven, I started playing cricket. And I was really, really uh, into it. Mm. I wouldn't necessarily say I was the best, but I was good. And I was really fit. Like, uh, And then uh, when I hit about uh, six, that's when I started playing for my brother's under 12 career team. When I was 10, that's when I started playing for my dad's senior's career team. And when I was 13, I was playing for two different rep sides, and four different club teams. So mm. I was playing uh, three or four games a weekend. Wow. And uh, then when I was 14, my life came crumbling down because my mom noticed that when I got nervous, my hand, like, it shook, like, really, really badly shook, like, worse than a nervous tremor. And, uh, she went to my GP and he goes, oh, I don't know what it is. That's referring to a pediatrician. Yeah, pediatrician. I always get them and the foot doctors mixed up. <laughs> I had a blank face then because I'm like, pediatrician, okay, what's the pe- Okay. <laughs> the the <Yeah>. kid doctor. <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. My wife's a nurse, so she'll shoot me if it's wrong. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> But uh, I got referred to him and he looked at it and he looked at all my symptoms and I was trembling at the time and uh, every doctor I had seen up to then thought it was multiple sclerosis, like Mm. MS, or cerebral palsy or something like that. Mm. He looked at me and from eyeballing me, he goes, nah, it's not presenting like any of them. Uh, I believe it is this really, really rare disorder called Friedrich's ataxia. And I was like, and I've never heard of it no. before. And uh, he sent me to a geneticist, and then uh, uh, about literally about three hundred blood tests later, uh, they came up with the diagnosis, and it was Friedrich's ataxia. If they had to just listen to him and test for it in the first place, <laughs> would have found it. But uh, I was. 15 when I got the diagnosis. Mm. No, sorry. I was 13 when they started. I was 14 when I got the diagnosis. But uh, when I was about 16, I uh, was told by my doctors, uh, do general research, but don't go on to an internet, uh, delve and go into it all because it's just going to scare you. Mm. So... Me being 16 and thinking oh, I'm the king shit of the world, <laughs> bloody well did that. <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I read something that said people of Friedrich's ataxia only live to about, uh, it was 14 to 15 years. 
Right. And I was like, oh, shit, well, I'm 16. Then I reread it and realized it didn't actually say that. <laughs> it actually said they lived to about 14 to 15 years after diagnosis. Uh, well, I was diagnosed when I was 14, and I'm 31 now, so I've lived past my diagnosis, which I'm very happy about. Well done, but, it also stated, and this is a proper medical journal, but this is from about 15 years ago, so it's probably been updated by now. Uh, it also stated that uh, a person with Friedrich's ataxia will be dependent on crutches within about two years of diagnosis and be permanently in a wheelchair within about four years of diagnosis. I went to a wheelchair when I was about 23. Oh, right. So, right. yeah, I lasted about nine years. But, yeah, that's why I'm in a wheelchair. <laughs> it's so, a long story, but uh, the reason why it took me so long to get into the wheelchair is because I was so fit when I was younger. Like, yeah. I was a black belt in kung fu. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. So, yeah, it must have made such a difference just to have that core strength that you built up as a as a kid just to give yeah. you that advantage. And was it, like, when you were reading this stuff as, you know, as a kid, you've been diagnosed and you're sort of seeing, you know, these, you're reading what these experts are saying and you can sort of see the path ahead was, I mean, did you... Oh man, like I, I couldn't even begin to imagine what would be going through your head. But was it a case of sort of going, like, "Fuck you, I'm going to see how long, I'm going to, I'm going to prove you wrong," or is it just a case of going, "Well, that's what I've got to expect, and so we'll just, we'll just keep moving forward and just see what happens." Oh, um, there were stages. Like now, it's just I'm going to keep doing me, and I've got my kids, which is something to fight for. I've got my my next stage of life, which is something to fight for, my wife, something to fight for. But back then, like, I fell into a massive fucking depression. Mm. Like, I literally was like, why me? For a bit there, as most teenagers are like. But, uh, yeah, I I tried to uh, literally take my own life a couple of times and failed both, mm. obviously. And then I, uh, after the second time, pulled myself out of it. I uh, started working towards more and more doing things and started to accept, well, this is my life and I've only got one, so I better fucking live it. Oh, man. Like, when when you're sort of hitting that, that low point, you know, I mean, was there, what sort of, got you thinking a different way. Cause I mean, that's, that's not, that's not an easy thing to come out of. And I mean, I just look around at just everybody that you sort of bump into in life, you know, and everyone's got, everyone's got different challenges and it's all, it's all big to the individual because it's only what you yeah. know and that's how you compare it. But I see, you know, people going through, you know, depression and, and, and a lot of mental health concerns and some people just never come out of it. You know, they just, they just never come out. So for you, I mean, you would have every justification to feel all those extreme feelings that you've had. What, was there something that sort of just gave you a little bit of a lift to go, okay, I need to, I need to relook at this and, and, you know, take advantage of, of what I have, which you said before, it's, you've got one life, so I've got to, I've got to do what I can with it. Um, 
I'm trying to think that there were a few sparks in my life, but like, uh, I think connecting with the woman that ended up becoming my wife, uh, we had so much in common and she helped me through so much. And well, I was still struggling with depression when I was in my early twenties when we met, uh, or I should say late teens. I was 19, but, uh, like, um, I'm not really sure. Like, I I always tell people, like, just because I'm going through this doesn't mean I'm not uh, a human being, which means pretty much, like, you're going through your thing and your thing is important to you. It doesn't mean that my thing negates your thing, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Pretty much what you said just then. And uh, I started to realize that, just because my legs don't work and my body doesn't function properly doesn't mean my mind doesn't work. Uh, doesn't mean I can't articulate my thoughts in a uh, in a helpful manner to a lot of different people. And I started to realize when friends started to reach out to me to ask me for help, like realizing that if I can pull myself through that shit that I went through, they can do it too, and they asked me how I did it. So it was more just helping other people and leaning on, learning, learning that I can lean on people like my wife to help me through some of the shit, and I don't have to go through alone. Oh man, it's a, a big thing to sort of get to that point where you, you know, you sort of look outside of yourself. I mean, it's such a selfless decision to make where. You know, so many people, and and rightfully so, would just be so overwhelmed with their own situation and what's going on in their life that they can barely look past look past themselves, let alone looking at how they can impact others. But yeah, if you can if you can find a way to channel that that raw energy uh, to to hopefully inspire somebody else or give them something that they can work with to be to to be happier, then it must be powerful stuff. Yeah, well. That's the way I see it. Like, it's gonna, it's happening no matter what. So, try and get some uh, good out of it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. So, I won't, I won't stick on the doom and gloom <laughs> too much longer. <laughs> um, but just, just so I guess, and anybody who's listening who's not familiar with the, with the condition as well. So, you, you mentioned sort of that, that expected or that average lifespan after diagnosis and you've you've exceeded that well done Uh but what were the what are the main reasons why they sort of say that you've only like that you tend to only have that amount of time like what else is going on because obviously you know you you mentioned you you transitioned to to crutches then eventually you're in you're in a chair um but what else is happening to the body that sort of reduces that that lifespan well, it's a neurodegenerative disorder. Sorry, I struggle with words sometimes. In case you can't tell, my my speech is slurry. Uh, that's part of the disorder. Uh, so pretty much if muscles uh, uh, atrophy, hmm. they can't. you can't ever get them back with yeah. Friedrichs. At least I can't. Some people might, and they're freaks of nature. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, like uh, if 
I get diabetes, my body can't properly uh, adjust to it. Mm. So that's pretty much a death sentence to me. The same with, uh, like, and by that, I mean, like, I will die within a year if I get diabetes. Mm. Uh, same with heart disease. If I get heart disease, there's no treating it. I'm just, I've got to accept the fact that I'm probably going to die very rapidly because the heart is muscle and this attacks my muscles. Uh, uh, my legs pretty much went from tree trunks to twigs. Mm. So um, my breathing specialist really wanted me to be careful because he was like, if you catch corona, you're gone. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, the muscles around your lungs won't be able to work, won't be able to function properly, and you just won't be able to breathe anymore. So I was like, oh, okay. So I better not get corona. <laughs> Easy. <laughs> done. Like, yeah, fair enough. And I just <laughs> won't get what 90% of the world's got. <laughs> uh, don't worry about the bushfires, mate. Now you got a bloody virus that you got you got to fend off. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> That's just the last 12 months. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. So condensed. Yeah. So, so, yeah. So it's a case that I guess, you know, in a very overly simplistic way, like the body just tends to get weaker and, you know, like it's just, and it's just, it, it is, it is what it is, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. My body's giving out, but my mind isn't, mm. which is kind of a, kind of a shit thing because, it's literally a case of my brain being trapped in a body. Yeah. You know, like uh, the Metallica film clip for one. Yep. It's based on the movie Johnny's Got a Gun. Mm. And that's about a World War One, I, I think it is, soldier that had a plane crash and can't talk. And he lost both of his arms and both of his legs. And his brain is still functioning, but they don't realize that he's communicating them mm. with them by his tapping his head. But yeah, that's pretty much what it's going to be like at the end. Mm, mate. Jeez. Uh, think, thankfully, I'm at the place where I, I know that I've accepted the fact that shit's going to go downhill pretty much. Well, it's, I mean, anything that I say, you def definitely have to take it lightly because here's me like, you know, life's pretty good for me, mate. And I, and I, to, to be able to relate to, to anything that anybody's going through is always going to be tough. But I guess in, in a way, you know, we, we're all going to meet our end at some point in time. And I guess for some of us, it's just going to be a bit sooner and, and, you know, and, and who knows for, I mean, at least, oh God, I don't know. I'm, I'm digging myself a hole here, but at least I guess in a way for yourself, you know, you've got, you've got some sort of idea of what's to come. And I guess you, you can mentally prepare for, for, I guess the future in a way, whereas I guess other people out there in life are so oblivious even though we all know that we're 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 not gonna we're not gonna last, you know, for eternity, um, we're so oblivious and we don't think about our mortality that um, we tend to just not make the most of our our time and and we we just make silly decisions and we dwell on things that don't matter and we stress out about silly stuff and and I I assume and just from things that you've said and I've just you know just looking at stuff online as well that. 
I think you've out of necessity, out of you know, you've been forced to have to sort of look at your life and go, all right, what do I need to do? What do I want to do? What can I cram in? Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. And a lot of it was done actually by accident. Like I didn't mean to do all this stuff, and then I realized, oh shit, I am doing all this stuff, and then yeah, it all all became impressive, really. So what? Always. So what? What's the? I guess because one of the things you shared with me, and I think we'll get into it a little bit later, was you know you put together a bucket list of things that you wanted to do while you still could could do them, and there's still a few things that are that are outstanding on your list that that you're hoping to achieve. But yeah. um, as you just mentioned before, like a lot of the things that you you found a passion for and you got interested in and started to do was sort of just you were you were falling into these situations and sort of just experiencing them as they were coming, but. Did you get to a moment where you sort of looked at it and went, like, I need to, I need to sort of make a decision here, and sort of instead of just have, getting lucky with these great experiences, I need to sort of be a little bit more intentional about trying to trying to seek these things out. Yeah, when I was, and this is going to sound like my being a big shot, but I'm not. But literally, when I was sitting backstage at the big day out with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. I realized to myself, holy shit, I'm actually doing quite a bit in my little short little life. I should start writing some of this stuff down and what I want to do further on. And then I literally saw the movie with uh, Morgan Freeman and Jack Nicholson called The Bucket List, yeah. <laughs> which isn't that great a movie, but still. <laughs> Concepts, the concepts there and it inspired me and then I started writing it all down and then one by one just started checking it off, making sure it gave me something to remain determined to do, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. Um, did what was can you remember what the first thing that you ticked off the list was? Oh shit. I've actually got it here somewhere. Yeah. Uh I think it was get married. Yeah? Oh, that's a good one. <laughs> That's a good one to start with. Uh, number one is, yeah, get married. Then number two is have kids. Oh, there you number go. three is get a tattoo, and I've got plenty of them. <laughs> <laughs> I love how, like, for a lot of people in their lives, like, one of the most daunting events in their life is to get married or go through that whole uh, sort of marriage process, and you're like got to be number one let's get this one out of the way let's 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 tick it off yeah <laughs> well i always knew i wanted to be a parent and i well i fell in love with my wife early on and i knew i was going to marry her eventually but i always knew i wanted to be a parent because i wanted to be able to carry my kids while i was still able to mm. and thankfully i did it all the time with my daughter i did it Twice with my son before it became too dangerous. Oh man, just um, it's good that, and obviously, you know, even if it's a fle they're fleeting moments, you, you've been able to do it. You know, you've done it. So yeah, regardless exactly. of the amount of times that you do it, the the fact that you've done it is the is the main thing. Yeah, yeah, I was very happy about that. <laughs> yeah. So, so what what other things? I mean, obviously, what actually a good question to ask is. How big is the list? How many how many items were there on there when you when you when you mapped it all out? Uh, around a hundred. Yeah, well, 
Okay. And, and there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one left. Twenty-one left. Oh, mate. <laughs> How good is yeah. that? <laughs> or there are two massive ones that I will never be able to do, but I really want to do because I think it will be fun. I really might. They're number 38 and 37 on the list, but Smoke with Snoop Dogg and Smoke with Cypress Hill. <laughs> I, I'm not a mega fan of either of their music, but I just want to do it because I imagine the story. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> it's not a normal thing that most people get to do, hey? Like, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's definitely a conversation starter. I can, I'm no illusions, like one puff with Snoop Dogg and I'll literally fall asleep <laughs> and same with Cypress Hill, but <laughs> they would just go, it is, oh, I'm gone, <laughs> but at least I got to say I did it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. So what, I mean, I, I wrote down some of the ones cause you gave me you gave me the list of the things that are still outstanding, and uh, I wrote I wrote a few down there. But what what are some of the ones that you've the more mem- memorable ones? Obviously, everything means something to you, and everything's important. That's why it's on the list. But what are some of the big ones that sort of stick out in your mind that you have ticked off the list so far? Apart from obviously what you mentioned before, the you know marriage and family, you know that they're obviously really important things for you. Uh, one of my favorite ones is crowd surfing my wheelchair at a major gig. <laughs> uh, what gig which, was that? The Cavaliers oh, at Metro I... Theatre a couple of years ago. <laughs> I was, I met a few people. I was there with one of my mates who we got separated and I was in the front row right against the barrier. And the crowd was starting to crush me. So I look to my right and I look to my left and I, two dudes that had to introduce themselves at the start of the night, you know what it's like in yeah. March bit. Yeah. And I said to them, like, can you lift me up? And I just gestured up. <laughs> but what I actually meant was I want out. Yeah. <laughs> Get me out. So they went, oh, okay then. And then I felt a hand grabbed the side of my wheelchair, another hand grabbed the other side of my wheelchair, slammed on my brakes because I made the mistake before of someone walking up and starting to mosh me, but my brakes went on, so oh, the no. wheelchair just spun <laughs> and I fell out. Oh, no. But, <laughs> yeah, so I slammed on my brakes and then they just lifted me and I started moshing me and then Matt Scavalera, oh, fuck, what song was it? It might have been Refuse to Resist. Yeah, well, cool. Oh, iconic. And, like, he, like, genuinely just stopped in the middle while Igor is still playing in the background. Max had just locked eyes with me going, what the fuck? <laughs> and then when I'd gone over the barrier, he's reached down and given me his pick, which I've still got here. And he's just like, what the hell? <laughs> and he's just staring at me as I'm going along the barrier to get out of the area. And he's like, that was so cool. And then he just kept playing. <laughs> well, what a moment, hey? Far yeah. out. Oh. <laughs> but, yeah, I love that story. And also, there was one that a, a few people know this, but a few people don't. 
I have a few passions in life, and outside of music, which is probably my biggest passion, uh, my other passion is professional wrestling. Mm. And my all-time favorite, one of the greatest of all time, is Mick Foley. A lot of people will know yeah. him as either Mankind or Cactus Jack. <laughs> Even do love to some people out there. But I got to meet him in 2018. What was he like? Uh, nice guy. He's uh, For all the punishment he took over the years, he's very, very smart. But uh, in 2018, I met him at a wrestling show called House of Hardcore in Sydney. And uh, with him were... Uh, the promotion is run by a wrestling legend named Tommy Dreamer. And on that show, there was uh, Bob Ray Dudley, Tommy Dreamer, Mick Foley, Billy Gunn, a bunch of guys from the 90s and early 2000s. And I said to Tommy Dreamer, because their meet and greet was on the stage, and I had paid for a meet and greet ticket, but I couldn't get on the stage. Mm. So they all came down to visit me one by one. And I said to Tommy Dreamer, one of my life goals, and this is actually on my bucket list, which I got to uh, cross off that night, was standing in a wrestling ring. <laughs> and I was like, I'm in a wheelchair. I'm six foot two. I weigh a bit over 100 kilos. <laughs> but all I want to do is stand in a ring. Like when everybody pisses off at the end of the night, can I please just roll into the ring and use the ropes to stand up? Went, I oh, will see. It's pretty high. It's pretty difficult to get in. I might do when I stand up, I'm 6'2". And it's like, when I stand up, I'm 6'1". We'll just see. <laughs> so at the end of the night, the uh, whole, whole thing finished up and they were doing their speeches at the end of the night. And then uh, at the end of the night, Tommy Dreamer handed the mic to Mick Foley, then whispered something in Mick Foley's ear and said, uh, Tommy has just told me that there is a gentleman over here in a wheelchair, and there were about three of us in wheelchairs around the arena, so I didn't realize at first I was talking about me. And he goes, uh, there's a gentleman in a wheelchair who's one of his last ambitions is to stand in a wrestling ring. And I went, holy shit, they're talking about me. <laughs> so my mate who was with me, I said to him, oh, you pull out your phone and record this. They're talking about me. And he went, no, no, they're not. They're not talking about you, you fucking idiot. <laughs> and I was like, dude, they're talking about me. Just, just do it. Just pull out your phone and record it. He went, fine, whatever. And he put out his phone. <laughs> then Mick Foley pointed down at me. And he goes, I, and Tommy's just informed me that tonight we're going to make his dream come true. And the whole the whole crowd went silent for a second, like literally dead silent. And then everybody started to cheer when they realized what they were talking about. And Mick Foley and Tommy Dreamer rolled out of the ring. I took my brakes off. They pushed me to the ring edge of the ring. I rolled into the ring, and Bubba Ray Dudley, who is part of the uh, infamous Dudley Brothers uh, tag team, Dudley Boys, and he leaned over one hand, and I went, dude, I'm pretty fucking heavy. Like, uh, you might need two hands to do this. And he went, 
I do. I throw around three hundred pound man for a living. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I can lift you with one arm. He <laughs> reached down and grabbed my hand and just whipped me up like I was a fucking feather. <laughs> like I literally got airborne for a second there. At least that's what it felt like. And he pulls me straight up, and they're all holding me up in the ring, like yeah, and like a bit over fifteen hundred people were in the crowd. Just yeah, it was fucking awesome. Wow. Oh, what yeah. A, what a moment. Oh, I love and how he's, the, he's trying to tell you off. He's like, come on, mate. Like, yeah, you, you, mate, this is what I do for a living. Like, just, just calm down. I've, I've got this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, they were always so nice, too. Like, people have called a few of them dickheads in the past. Like, they're rude to people. No, nah, they all sat down and talked to me after the show and, I got to know him and stuff. I still talk to uh, Mick Foley over Twitter, like DMs and everything. Wow. Isn't that so surreal? Yeah. Like, it's just crazy that crazy that a moment like that happens and then to, to like, form that connection as well. Yeah, yeah. And that was, like, something that I wrote on my bucket list and I saw the opportunity and I just thought, oh, fuck, I'm going to take this. <laughs> I love it. I mean, and it worked out. Is it something where you found, you know, you know, as you either as you were writing the list or as you've seen these opportunities to to tick things off the list, that you, I don't know. I mean, you tell me. Is it is it a case of just no fear or just having the confidence or just going, I've got nothing to lose? And because I know, like a lot of people would hesitate in the moment and go, ah, oh, you know, I'll leave it, you know, oh, but, you know, too scared to ask or, or put it out there. Is it just a case yeah. where you just don't, like, you just don't, well, you don't need that filter and nobody needs it, but you just, you're not considering that anymore because you just, it's like, hey, I can see an opportunity. Let's just go for it and see what happens. In a way, yeah. Like, it's the, the uh, fear is still always there. It's just something you've got to get through. Like, the way I see it is the worst you can do is say no, mm. or the worst they can do is say no. They're not going to kick you out for asking a question. Yep, yep, true. They're not going to kick you out for, like, being inquisitive, if you know what I mean. Like, if I didn't ask Tommy Dreamer that night, it wouldn't have happened, but because I did, it did, if you know what I mean. Did something, and, like, did something like that validate, like – in your head to go like now, you know, for sure that when you do see something like you, you just won't hesitate and you will always ask because as you said, like if, if you, if you hesitated at that point in time and thought and reconsidered or second guessed yourself, I mean, none of that would have happened at all. Like that whole experience. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, ah, uh, like there were, there was literally like little devil and little angel on my shoulders <laughs> tell me to do it or not to do it. But, Ultimately, I did it, and I'm very happy. It all uh, stemmed back from the first time I ever put it out there and asked a celebrity to do something for me, which was when I was – and I, uh, I harken back to this story. But uh, when I was with the Peppers backstage in 2013, I leaned over to uh, Flea, and I said to him, I, can you give me – a lot of my friends didn't believe that I was going to be there. So I said, a few of them are out in the crowd. Can you just tell them that Tom says hi? 
and he went, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I don't go on the mic very much. So I leaned over to Anthony, and I said, well, like, you're on the mic the whole night. Can you just tell him that Tom says hi? You punish him. And he went, <laughs> he was like, oh, maybe, maybe. And then uh, Josh Klinghoffer, who was the guitarist at the time, yep. uh, I went over to him, and I said, well, you've got a mic. Can you do it? And he went, what are the names? I'm like, and I said, told him his, their names. And he went, oh, I'll see if I can do it. And then Anthony leans over and he goes, what's your favorite song? And I said, well, Soul to Squeeze, because it starts with the line, I've got a bad disease. Mm. And it always spoke to me. And then he went, ah, oh, because I've got still got one of their set lists from the night. And I looked over at the set list, and I wasn't on there. And I was like, oh, that's okay. I've seen you twice before this, and you played it both times then. So, like, you don't need to play it tonight. He went, oh, okay, yeah, all good, all good. And I ended up watching their set from start of stage, like, on the main stage of the Big Day Out. And uh, we were sitting there, and then uh, – they played their full set, and then uh, they came out for their encore, and they uh, broke into high ground. Their cover of the Stevie Wonder mm. song, and then uh, straight after that, they were supposed to run into a medley of Danny California and "Suck My Kiss," but uh, they stopped the entire show, pretty much, and they said, uh, "Anthony go on the mic and goes." Uh, this next jam goes out to my man, Tom. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, what the fuck? Did he just say my name? In front of like 55,000 people at the Sydney Big Day Out? What the hell? And uh, they ended up playing Solar Squares and dedicated it to me. All because I had the, I wouldn't say balls, but I had the uh, the confidence to talk to them. Because mm. like, I originally got it through a Starlight Foundation wish because I originally got okay for the wish years before that, but they hadn't toured in that entire time. And because I was okay for the wish, I was allowed to do it in my mid-20s. <laughs> and uh, uh, the Starlight Foundation lady was like, no one talks to the uh, celebrities. Like, we had a boy who just wanted to meet Roger Federer. And instead of talking to Roger Federer, he just went silent and embarrassed. Oh, no. But you spent almost two hours backstage with the band talking their ears off. I'm like, yeah. Well, <laughs> fuck. It's the only time I'm ever going to meet them, so I might as well. you got to make the most of it. <laughs> Oh, mate. You, it sounds like you were the ultimate punisher. It's like, come on, guys. Like, go on, do, it. do me a favor. Go on, do me a favor. I'm not you? Okay, let's go to you. Let's just keep going around the room. I love it. Yeah. I love it. And, you, and you got, look, you got the result, mate. And um, oh, what a, I can't even begin to imagine that moment when, he's, when he just calls your name out before and then kicking into that song, knowing that they weren't, they weren't meant to play that song. I mean, oh, yeah, surreal, yeah. man. I, I'm not... Uh... I'm not going to deny it. Like, tears started flowing almost straight away. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. What did What did your mates think after all this? They were just kind of shocked. They were like, holy shit, he was telling the truth. 
<laughs> See, told you. I'm so fucked because it was. Granted, it was a pretty unbelievable story that I was going to be hanging out with the headliners of the big day out mm. before this. At everybody, because like we've all met those guys that say, "Oh yeah, I hung out with Pantera back in the nineties." No, you fucking didn't. <laughs> But, like, literally, and then when the photographic evidence came out, people were like, holy shit, he yeah. fucking did it. Oh, mate. I'll have to, I'll have to chuck, I've, I've seen that picture. Um, I'll have to chuck it, chuck it in the show notes so people can have a look. It's, uh, it's yeah, what a moment, hey? And and so, obviously, for you, like, just an all-time favorite band. Yeah, yeah, like, like they're more modern stuff. No, not so much <laughs> because their more modern stuff is more. Uh, let's just say uh, commercial, not in the sense that it's like uh, there's corporate commercial is in that. It's very safe. You'll see. You'll see it on a Target ad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I use the word vanilla. Very, uh, yeah. very sort of bland and and uh, no surprises. Very safe. Like uh, especially the new album had those moments where it looked like it was going to be the best album since Bar Sugar back in the early nineties. Mm-hmm. Then they were slowly releasing the tracks, and you thought, I thought to myself, well, they've never done a track where piano accompanied the entire song from start to finish. Mm. They've never done that. They've never done a few other things that they were doing. Then uh, they released about four tracks before the album dropped, and it was an 18-track album, and then you realize those are the only four good songs on the entire oh, fucking no. <laughs> And then the album before that is just crap. No, I, uh, I love them. I've got their logo tattooed to my wrist. I love them, but the album before that was just crap. The album before that was like take it or leave it. <laughs> By the way, it was crap. Uh Californication was good. Yeah, it wasn't uh bad. one hot minute was just drugged addled crap. <laughs> and Bio Sugar was good and everything before that was fucking phenomenal. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Cause you know how I mean you've you've come across these people over the years where just die hard, like just massive fans of a band and just as, as you've done, like, you know, get a tattoo and, and just, uh, yeah, just be a massive supporter of a band. But I, I love, it's so refreshing to hear somebody that, you know, is such a massive fan of a band, but also will not hesitate to slag off an album if it's just not good. Cause so many, so many, yeah. so many fans will go, Oh, you know, it's not, you know, it's still not bad, you know, just in denial, you know, just trying to, just trying to sweep it under the rug, but you're like, nah, nah, it's just crap. <laughs> Like I've met, met diehard Metallica fans who say Saint Anger is one of the greatest albums ever made. Oh. I'm like, what the fuck are you listening to? <laughs> Dude. Oh not yeah. even Lars thinks that is a good album. Oh, no way. No way in hell. Oh, you just I, I was I was one of those kids that was just so so desperate to want to love it when it came out. Like I was, cause they hyped it up so much leading up to that album as well. They were saying like return to the roots, you know, it's going to sound like justice and all this sort of stuff. And they were just, they were just name dropping all this stuff from their, their past. And just, it was this the big hype machine. And I was just sitting there going, this is going to be amazing. And, um, 
I don't even know what the first tr- single was. Was it Frantic or was it uh, was it the yeah, same title track? Was it, yeah. yeah, the title track was its oh, and filmed at San Quentin. That's it. So I remember that because I remember the you know the video clip and the hyping up the video you know in the prison and everything. It's like oh, this is metal as Metallica's back, blah blah. blah. And I'm pretty sure that it's not, I mean, it's been so so many years since I've listened to that that album, but um, I'm pretty sure it's fairly heavy at the start. But I thought these riffs are kind of a bit a bit bog, like they're just dry, just they're, they're nothing. Like it's just they're just yeah. chugging away, not going in any direction. And then when he goes into that soft, clean thing, I just <laughs> oh, like my heart broke, my heart broke. And then I was just I was then in like recovery mode because I was like just trying to like cling on to anything of worth going there's got to be something good in this there's got to be something good in this like there has to be something redeeming and uh well i never went back to that album i just i just couldn't do it and the way they marked it was this new fantastic bass player is going to be on it and he is a fantastic bass player one of the best in heavy metal no matter what people say just listen to the shit you did with ozzy and the shit you did with suicidal yeah He's brilliant, but he didn't play on that album. No, Bob, Bob, Rock did. Bob Rock did. Yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, what the hell? As oh. soon as the Some Kind of Monster documentary came out, you realize that he didn't play a single lick on the album. And you're like, oh, that's why it was crap. Oh, Bob, <laughs> Bob Rock with the dad rock vibes, just laying down some, laying down some bass lines on, on, a, on an album with a bunch of, you know, sort of, Boomer, boomer males that are just trying to cling <laughs> on to the cool, the cool card, you know, it's just, oh, it was just, everything was so try hard with that album. And Metallica was like, Metallica would have been, I don't know, that was my, that was my band growing up and I was obsessed. Yeah. And I think if, um, like I, ne- I've never, never got a tattoo myself, but I think if it was, if I was ever going to get a tattoo, it would have like Metallica would have been one of the first things I would have got. And I mean, I was, I was one of those kids who had a, like a GeoCities Metallica website, you know, in high school. I was just such a nerd, such a nerd. And, um, I just wanted to, I just wanted to always be that num that number one fan or in my mind, the number one fan. And, uh, yeah, when it got to around that era, um, like I, I still really, really enjoyed sort of, you know, the loads and, and sort of into garage ink and all that sort of stuff. But, um, yeah, yeah just, uh, St. Angle was just, oh my God. And just, but luckily, I think the fact that that album came out, I think it really forced me to get out of my own little cave and go, what else is out there? And really go back to listening to all these other artists that I'd, you know, listened to here and there, but I was just too obsessed with Metallica and then discovering all this new stuff. And, and well, I guess, you know, the rest is history music-wise, like as far as, you know, all, all these amazing bands out there. But, um, yeah, I mean, not to, not to go on a fucking Metallica uh, I mean that's 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 low hanging fruit to go and uh, start talking about Metallica. <laughs> like it's like if you want to get some activity and some some conversation going, just uh, start start uh, raising a Metallica question or topic, and you'll get everyone talking. But oh. um, yeah, what did what did you think of their uh, team up with uh, with Rick Rubin and Death Magnet- Magnetic? Uh, it, look. It was better than St. Anger, wasn't it? I mean, <laughs> but I mean, the bar was so low that anything could have been better than that. But I look, I think it could have been a punchier album. It could have actually have been half decent if they just chopped the songs down. I think they'll just, it was yeah. still, it was still a little bit very, it was still a little bit self indulgent at times where they just, like, 
I don't know whether they're still trying to go for like this vibe from Justice where they had all these complex arrangements, but and that's good yeah. if the song actually continues to be good. But they just they just went off in these directions and it was sort of like, guys, where are you going? Like, are you going to come back? Like, are you going to circle back and sort of go back into, you know, the main part of the song? And yeah, I just, I, it was just hard to sort of latch onto that. I think the, the last one that did, they did that hardwired, was it hardwired? Is it the last one? They yeah. Did? Yeah. That was, that was actually all right. Like, I, it's not an album that I would go back to often, but you know, I, I, I hear those songs and I go, you know what? Like there's some, there's some actually some good stuff on here like there's some some good stuff but i mean it gets it gets pretty funny when you get to a point where all the metallica fans from the 90s who shat all over load and reload are all pining for a load and reload now because of just what's yeah. happened over the past 20 years with the band. well one of my friends told me a funny joke he said what's the best metallica album of the last 20 years and i went i don't know he went, whatever my sugar just released. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, fair enough. Yeah, fair cool. Fair <laughs> cool. Yeah, touche. Yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So we, 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 we touched on Metallica. And we'll, we'll we'll try and we'll try and jump off that, but I'll I'll try and uh, use it as a as a little bit of a segue. So I'll come back to a bit of the bucket list uh, shortly, but just talking about metal in general and I know, you know, massive, a massive music fan, massive metal fan. Uh, yeah. you, you had your, you, your radio podcast slash, you know, radio slash podcast that you were doing for, for a while there. And that was, um, full metal lockdown. Yeah, that was my podcast. Uh, it started life as a gig actually, like a, uh, little gig out in orange. And then I, uh, when I moved to Bateman's Bay, I, didn't want it to die, so I turned it into a podcast. And I mean, what I mean, what have you learned over the years? Because I just know for me, like doing doing the podcast myself and just speaking to so many different people, um, you know, just I, I think I it's it's so weird because I learn more about myself when I talk to other people. You know, just I sort of I'm always sort of picking the parallels or just discovering or having these light bulb moments. But I mean, you've you've spoken to a lot of people over the years and. Probably discovered a lot of music as well along the way. Yeah. Like, uh, I learned that Wednesday 13 is actually a really nice guy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't like his music and I don't like murder dolls. I'm not going to say they're shit because they, if they were crap, I would do it. Yeah. But I can't do it. So, therefore, <laughs> they are actually good. But I, I just don't like their style. But he's a really nice guy, and I learned that he got drunk with Ric Flair, so I liked him. Uh, <laughs> but, like, uh, I learned, like, uh, what's his name? I can't remember his name. From Suffocation, bass player. Oh, God. Um... Oh, I can't remember his name right now. All my death metal mates are just gone... Come on, Andy. Come on. What are you doing? You should, <laughs> yeah. you should know this, mate. You should know this. I'm trying to look him up well, now. And the worst part is that one of my favorite bands, but I'm just having one of those mind gap things where I just can't remember the name of a band. Derek Boyle? Yeah, that's it, Derek. Okay. I met him and <laughs> I interviewed him for the podcast and I was talking to him and I learned that... Uh, 
even though Suffocation are like one of these bands that are just huge in my mind, he's still just a average Joe, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Like he's like they're huge in my mind, but uh, and like one of these incredible recording artists of the past and the future because it's still going. But uh, like he still has to have a job and things like that just to make. Ends mate, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, the like, the grim realities of heavy metal. Like making it isn't necessarily making it, if yeah. you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, like oh, in the back of my mind, I already knew that, but like to hear it from a guy from a band that I've known for years, for decades, and absolutely love their song Funeral Inception. I love the way it samples uh, Usual Suspects. Mm. <laughs> But, uh, like, absolutely loving that music when I was younger, just hearing the fact that he's still got to keep life going so he can't fall into a celebrity trap, if you know what I mean. Yeah. It's a yeah. Good, good, way to, good way to keep you grounded. I mean, you know, not that you, you know, many of these guys have a choice anyway, but, um, you know, the looking at the sort of the positive side of it, you know, you're... It's it's hard to develop a, a big ego or out of control ego when you know you've you've got to you've got to work you got to make ends meet and, and work a day job. Yeah, yeah. Like uh, guys like uh, Bernie Shaw from Uriah Heap, who oh yeah, uh, were around when heavy metal was like in, incarnated, pretty much. Yeah. Like, there's an argument to say that they were around before Black Sabbath, like they were around before Black Sabbath, but there is an argument that people have made to say that they were the sound that inspired Black Sabbath. I don't fall into that category, but that's fair enough then, <laughs> if people want to believe that. Uh, but like hearing him talk and realising that he's worked for like, all these decades and you're right, he still have to keep going, otherwise they're just going to fall off the Fourth of financial wagon, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, wow, yeah. It's uh, there's so many, so many bands that you sort of, whether it be like our parents, you know, you idolize on a, on a record or something like that, or you pick them up as as you go along on on record or CD or something like that, and you just look at these, especially as you, when you're younger as well, because you just don't know, you haven't had enough life experience yourself, so you, you can't connect the dots and you don't understand how how sort of life life works and and so you're looking at these guys in these album covers on these jackets and you're looking at them going oh man like they're just larger than life these incredible people and little yeah. little do you know that they're 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 just as normal and as boring as us <laughs> yeah yeah exactly like at the end of the day they're all human beings yeah that's the way i treated it like i interviewed uh, members of Anthrax, members of Fear Factory, members of Lord, even I yeah. interviewed you, <laughs> but uh, like uh, Psychroptic, King Parrot, all them. The thing I learned over the run of the show was that they're all just human beings, if you know what I mean. Like, if you treat them like normal, they're gonna open up and talk to you, so yeah. Yeah, it's a, it makes it, it makes a big difference, and I, it wasn't until I started playing in a band myself that I, I, I just 
just like it wasn't a choice. It was just shown to me that uh, you know that that human aspect and that uh, everybody's just as imperfect and as uh, insecure and uh, and as boring and as lame and as nerdy as as the rest of us. And and as soon as you you get over that sort of that mystique and that hype that is associated with these larger than life you know, musicians that are out there then uh yeah you, you you get to have really good conversations with people you get to have a chat and 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 i think i think a lot of musicians who normally probably get treated weirdly by people because they're put on this pedestal probably actually really appreciate a normal conversation where they get treated as a as a human <laughs> as a normal person yeah. and they can they can relax a bit so yeah it's a, it's a good way of approaching it yeah like and I'm not going to name names. Some of them, uh, some of them were pompous dickheads. <laughs> Come uh, on, give me a name. <laughs> I don't know if I should. Although I think you already blackballed me, so <laughs> from ever interviewing him again, because like we didn't exactly see eye to eye when we, uh, he's a famous guitarist. Okay, he toured Australia about six, five, six years ago. Right, but uh, yeah, <laughs> and he's got. He's got a uh, hard to pronounce name. Yes. <laughs> if 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 anybody listening to this right now can't connect the dots, then that's 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 your problem. <laughs> yeah, his his interview never made it to air. Right. But let's just say that me and him did not see eye to eye when we talked. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's uh, if it's the if we're on the same page. Um, I think there's a lot of people um, in his in his life, in his travels, that have not seen eye to eye with him. So uh, I don't think you're alone, mate, and I don't think it was anything to do with you either. <laughs> no. Like, when I announced that to a few people that I was interviewing this particular person, they said, uh, be really, really careful when you talk to him. <laughs> and, yeah. I wasn't, and we ended up in an argument. It sounds like, it sounds like the story you said earlier on, where you know, you're a teenager and and the doctor or whatever is saying, "Don't go and look up on the internet." And you're like, "Well, you just told me not to. That's exactly what I'm going to do." So same sort of thing with this guy. It's like, be careful what you're going to, you know, how you approach it. It's like, oh, oh well, I'll just, I'll just not do that. <laughs> See what happens. I was careful at first, and then he said something that I didn't want to let slide so i was just like no <laughs> and then he was like what did you say and i was like no you're not gonna say that on my show oh <laughs> mate like, yeah could... he didn't take that too well oh mate this you know what i mean i know you, i know you got a bucket list and you've 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 put this together and you and you're committed to it but um if you ever think Hey, I've got a little bit more room to add a couple of more. I reckon you. I reckon to to release that whatever that was left of that episode, and release that <laughs> as, as a bucket list. One hundred and one. Get get everything else done first, but mind you, don't don't sacrifice anything else. But once you get everything else done, uh, yeah, maybe maybe consider, <laughs> consider putting that. Out. I'm pretty sure if I do that, I'll get sued. <laughs> It wasn't. It wasn't nice by the end of it, but yeah. Oh god, that's so funny. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So, is it? Was there? Was there anybody? Was there anybody that you spoke to that just you were shitting bricks beforehand? You're really, really nervous about before you before you dialed the phone or you know answered answered the call. Um, Dino Cazares. Mm. I I've loved him since I was a little kid. Yeah. Like not not in that way. 
<laughs> Fear Factory and Divine Heresy are two all-time great bands. Um, Derek Boyer. Mm. Uh, and I was pretty relaxed with the rest of them. Like, I was pretty easy going with them all. Like, uh, my very, very first episode was uh, Dave Haley from Psychoptic. That's a nice way of saying it. And I was pretty nervous about that, but, but not because I was talking to him, because <laughs> I I had met him a bunch of times, and uh, we uh, organized a gig with, uh, yeah, Psychoptic. I had to think for a second there. He's in like 40 bands. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was definitely Psychoptic. And I uh, organized a band, uh, gig with him, and... Uh, so I wasn't nervous about talking to him. I was just nervous about taking the leap of starting a podcast, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, just, is this going to work? Am I going to say something yeah. stupid? Is this going yeah. to come out okay? Am I going right. to look down and realize that I haven't pressed record? <laughs> I did I did that with, uh, uh, who was it? It was Ben Silk from Red Bear. Oh, right, yeah. The band from the Blue Mountains. Blue Mountains yeah. Great band. They're one, one of the greatest prog bands in Australia going at the moment. Really good band. One of, not the best, because <laughs> I don't want to piss anyone off. No. But, <laughs> but yeah, I love them to death. But uh, we've got about, we're doing a 40-minute, 50 to an hour interview, and I got about 20 minutes into it, and I went, uh, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Ben, but I forgot to hit record. Oh, no. Oh. Yeah. Oh. You just it, 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 it happens sometimes. It, it happens does. to the best of them. It and does. I'm not saying I'm the best, <laughs> but I'm just saying that it happens to the best. So don't you judge me. Oh, mate. I, I did mine with... Um... <laughs> I've done it. I've done it with a few people over the years, but I did one with uh, Chris Pachanko from Vanishing Point, and yeah. we we just like we hadn't spoken in ages, and we just hit the ground running, and we're just having this great chat, great banter. We're joking back and forth, and I reckon, I reckon it would have been a good thirty forty minutes in, uh, and I just looked down and my heart sunk. I just I, and I had to, and he was in the middle of telling this great story, and I just I had to go. I, I, I was just so I just forgot about him and I should have just let him finish the story before I broke the news. But I just like Chris, 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 Chris. <laughs> I'm like it didn't. It, no, there's no recording. And he's and he and to his credit, I mean he's he is one of the nicest guys out there. Like just not yeah. a bad bone in his body. Just such a oh such a lovely guy. And he just said, "Hey man," he laughed. He goes, "Hey man, no problems. Let's start again. Let's let's try and recapture that vibe." And and. <laughs> And as soon as we kicked in, I just we made we decided to just make a joke of it at the start and to say, "Hey, we just been talking shit for the past forty minutes and didn't record it, so we're going to attempt to do it again." And um, <laughs> it ended up coming out fantastic. We had we had had such a great chat, but uh, oh man, like doesn't it doesn't just like just kill you when, <laughs> when you look down? And go, oh no, like, just none of it's being recorded. Chris is another one that I interviewed for the podcast years ago. Yeah. He he truly is one of my, one of the all time nice men in Australian heavy metal. He is. He is. He's. Yeah. Uh, I, I I think um, obviously Vanishing Point's done a lot of great things over the years, and they they put out a 
a great album last year. Last year, oh God, I'm, I got my years mixed up. I'm pretty sure it was last year, and um, you know, still going strong. But um, I honestly think that he is one of one of the most underrated musicians in this country, um, yeah. and and in metal, but also just in like melodic rock, melodic music in general. He's just he's an amazing songwriter, and I think just somebody who just you know he, he's he's somebody that you want to be and. And you just sort of think, okay, well, as I move in, like I'm saying this not to sort of make him sound old, but he's older than us. And so I sort of go, when I sort of get to that point in my career where I'm a few extra albums in uh, and up to him that I want to have that sort of outlook on life and I want to be, you know, really welcoming and and appreciative of everything. And just, I mean, we played together at Prog Power in, in the US a few years back and I stood there in the crowd and I watched him play and I, you know, tears rolling down his cheeks. He was just on cloud nine. He was just so happy. And the vibe he gave, gave out in that room, everyone felt it. And I knew like how much this meant to him. And it was just, oh man, it was such a moment. And I just, I forgot that we were even playing a show. Like I forgot it was even Vanishing Point on stage. I was just, it was a Chris show for a while there. I was just watching him. So just yeah. Uh, yeah, a super, a super nice guy. But um, it's amazing, isn't it? Like when you like for you doing the podcast and talking to all these different people that you get to, you get to just experience a different side of people. You you just see their faces and their names on the albums and, and listen to the music. But then when you get to talk to them, you go, Oh man, like there's, there's so much more to, to these, to, to these amazing people. Exactly. Like, uh, I, I would call him a friend now, like Chris Rand, who I mm. saw was on your show recently. Yeah. And he he's been on my show a couple of times, and like I, I he played a gig for me down here in Bentons Bay. Yeah, and uh, we still talk. I'm uh, trying to line up a tattoo from him. He's one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Yeah, like so. Like if you listen to Sigrashen's music, it's, <laughs> it, it is aggressive and hard, and it, it feels like it just wants to kick you in the dick. <laughs> but if you talk to Chris, he's the nicest man on earth. He is. He is, man. It just does not match at all. It's just, no, it oh, yeah, just, yeah, it's a, he, yeah, another side of him comes out when uh, when he gets <laughs> on stage or in front of a mic. My God, yeah. just uh, so much coming out of that guy. Yeah. So, I mean, obviously, could we could talk metal for, for hours and uh, we're both, we've both got a, a shared, a shared passion of that. But um, I want to get back to this uh, this bucket list. So you said there's about 20, 21 left on your list. So what's what's some of the ones that are sort of sticking out at you at the moment? Are there ones that are sort of in your line of vision where you like, all right, this is what I'm. This is these are the next ones I'm going to sort of gun for. Ah, uh, well, like I'm trying to learn a language at the moment, but it's not going too well. <laughs> what because... would you pick? Uh, Japanese. Oh yeah, cool. Yeah, just because I want to go to Japan one day. Cool. But uh, yeah, I think the next achievable one is get a master's degree because I just got my bachelor's degree, and uh, I'll have my master's in about three years. Wow! Congrats. What are you, What are you studying? I'm teaching. I've uh, just got my bachelor's majoring in sociology and indigenous studies wow. with a minor in history. And I'm about to be a secondary school teacher, a high school teacher. 
Oh, mate, congrats. I mean, far, far out. Jeez, I can, <laughs> I can, I can barely muster up the, the focus to bloody put together a, a couple of podcasts each week, let <laughs> alone anything else. Incredible. So Masters is the next, uh, the next thing to tick off the list uh, when it comes to sort of your, your sort of academic uh, career, you know, learning yeah, you know, sort of uh, educating yourself and getting those credentials. Pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah, but uh, the ne- actually, I kind of lied. The next uh, achievable one is be a guest on someone's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but that's literally an item on the list. Who, who, whose podcast do you want to get on? Uh, I don't know. Probably <laughs> one of the big ones. <laughs> yeah. oh, oh, I'll try and help you out. I'll find one for you. <laughs> I, love uh, I love it. Oh, I'm glad I'm, I'm, I'm glad I can help you, mate. I actually intentionally chose your podcast because I've listened to it before and it's good. Oh, mate. Thanks. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. It's a lot of... It's a lot of shit talking, but I'm glad that I'm glad that people like it. I'm glad I'm glad that you picked me. You chose me, mate. <laughs> <laughs> there, uh, are, th- there are some items that I know probably won't happen. Hmm. It's simply because people are probably going to be dead. <laughs> like meet Hulk Hogan. I'm pretty sure he's going to die soon. Uh, it, uh, ride a motorcycle again. Be the writer, uh, that'll probably never happen again. Mm. Uh, but I still want it to happen. I, I almost did this one. Uh, I know he's got a bomb rap, but uh, book a show with AJ Matter from <laughs> Soundwave. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we've known each other for a while, and I've always wanted to book a show with him. And it almost, almost happened. Is he but still... It didn't. Is he still- do, I don't even know what he's up to. I no. Who knows? I don't know if he'll appreciate me talking about him. Oh, okay. But uh, yeah. he's kind of just retired, uh, semi-retired at the moment, doing yeah. consulting. Fair enough. Fair enough. There you go. Yeah. So, uh, but, yeah, go. Sorry. I was just going to say, yeah, but it's mostly just little stuff like, ah. Uh, I want to get inebriated with my kids when they're old enough. Like, I want to get them drunk because I think it will be funny as fuck. Uh, the big one that I've always wanted to do is produce a uh, release of a band or artist. Mm. I've never got to be the producer. I've engineered some recordings, some EPs. I've helped bands uh, retool their songs, but they never recorded them. Mm. But I've never got to be the producer for a record. Cool. Apart from like my own releases, I have two albums out, that, but they're not heavy metal. And I just want to, before it's too late, I want to get a band and just blurt my uh, my experience and knowledge onto them. If you know what I mean. <laughs> what's yeah. what's uh, the uh... You, you might have told me this over the years, or I might, might have seen it. But uh, what what was the music that you did, uh, sort of back in the day? Well, it came out of necessity because I was a bass player originally. But uh, <laughs> this is a funny story. My wife broke my arm. 
so I couldn't play bass anymore. <laughs> but it was she accidentally broke my arm. I should go down. And uh, I was doing a music course at the time, and my major project was coming up. But I had to write and record. Sorry, I had to write and record an entire album. So I was like, "Oh fuck, what am I going to do?" So I thought to myself, "Well, like." I was really, really into Nice Nails at the time. And I thought to myself, well, like, fuck, I'll do something like that. Where, like, I'd, it sounds really complicated, but I don't have to do much if I just layer every instrument. So I got a MIDI keyboard, I got a, a drum machine, I got a few other, uh, like, uh, synthesizers. And I started playing and started lapping it and overlaying it and stuff and then putting it into Logic and just mixing all together and it sounded good. So I just made uh, 13 tracks of of uh, this acidy, acid trip friggin' electronic music and <laughs> I released it. And the next thing you know, people liked it. And I was like, well, fuck, that worked. Okay. Is it still online? Yeah, yeah, you can find it on Bandcamp. What is it? It's What's called it? Uh, Anti Profit. Anti Profit. Anti Profit. All right. I'm, I'm gonna gonna go and have a have a listen to that. Sounds sounds interesting. I'll uh, I'll chuck a link in so, so other people can check it out as well. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I did an, two albums and an EP. And wow. uh, first one is the only one that's good. <laughs> in my view anyway people people think i'm wrong about that but i am a self-hating musician no oh, i think <laughs> i think everyone is everyone's their their own worst critic so yeah but yeah it, it, it literally came out of necessity out of injury and when i was able to i just stopped <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah. wow so one of the other things i saw on the list and I'm keeping you on the time. I oh, mean, I could I could talk to you for ages. I'm yeah. I'm so glad you reached out and and we're we're talking about uh, doing this because um, yeah, I'm just I'm stoked. And and as soon as as soon as you answered before I heard your voice, I'm like ah, oh, I remember that voice and from from, from <laughs> a long time ago. But um, one of the things on your like list, like I said, I could blab for hours. Man. <laughs> oh, so can I, and that's the problem, mate. It, it's uh, we're both a bad influence on each other, and uh, <laughs> and I, like, we, we haven't even gotten into my actual work in the industry. <laughs> oh, I know, I know. We might have to, we might have to do another one. I'm, I'm doing a lot of return guests this year, so I reckon, uh, I reckon we'll, uh, we'll do another catch up sometime, sometime in yeah, the yeah, yeah, and we'll talk man, more. I, I'm more than happy. To, this is my gap year, so apart from playing my PS5, I don't have much to do. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, I'll uh, I'm going to try and pry you away from your, P- your PS at some point this year, and we'll uh, we'll have a chat. But um, one, maybe one one thing to wrap up on this one is uh, on on your list. You you um, I think you had uh, write your life story and yep. have. Have you been doing some of this? Have, like, do you keep a diary or have you been recording sort of thoughts and stories from over the years and what you've been going through? Like what, and all these amazing sort of, like just, you're just scraping the surface with me, just some of the stories you've been telling me uh, tonight. But, you know, have you been doing some of this stuff over over time? I've tried, but 
Well, honestly, and my it it it, it feels really self centered when you try and write stuff about yourself. Yeah. And like I've wanted to, and I've tried, and I've tried recording it. I've tried uh, writing it. I've tried typing it. I've tried dictating it to other people, and I just I get about two pages in every time, and I just feel a little bit like, why am I doing this? No one wants to hear my story. Then other people hear it. And then tell me I've got to write that shit down. Yeah. Then I, when I try again, I go through the same mental process, and it's just a loop. So yeah, I've tried, but I've never gotten anywhere with it. Well, mate, I, you got to do with what what feels right for you. But um, I think you know, just as, as I said before, I think you know, just scraping the surface just with some of the experiences that you've had and. I don't know. I mean, you know, I'm sure people will, will reach out and people will make comments about uh, this chat and um, no doubt people will get something out of this and, and enjoy just listening to, to some of the things that, that you've experienced over the years. And, you know, maybe maybe it's something to, to keep thinking about, even if you just write down a little little thing here, here and there, isn't there? Just little uh, reminders, like, you know, little taglines and and uh, a sentence here and there, just little things to jog your memory, and and who knows? But um, I think I think we all we all sort of think about that stuff in in a way. You kind of go, well, how can I how can I record stuff so you know I can you know people will will know what I've what I've gone through and what I've uh, you know experienced and my my feelings about things and all that sort of stuff. It's all yeah. You know, so. I don't know, man. It's uh, I, I like that was one thing that popped out when I, when I was looking through your list of, of the ones that are still still left outstanding, and um, I like I like the idea of it, but um, but that's why that's why a lot of people don't get around to doing it because it's really fucking hard. So uh, if, <laughs> if, if you if you look, mate, if you if you uh, if you're working your way towards a master's, mate, I reckon writing your life story. I mean, not not that uh, it's going to be uh, any easier or any harder, but. Um, I think I think you're you're well equipped to be able to tackle it. Yeah, it's uh, like I I know how to do it, and I know all the processes to go about it. Like I said, it's just that mental that that thing that I've got to try and get over. Of uh, it feels really, really, really conceited to <laughs> think that your life story is somehow something that everybody else wants to read. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. It is tough. I yeah. Oh yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Something to think about, mate. And maybe maybe it's something that you have to, you know, look look at uh, your inner circle of, of family and, and close friends and and think about what they what they might appreciate as well. And uh then I think then you start to remove yourself from it and you get over you get over those those uh, sort of roadblocks that you create for yourself, and you realise that you're doing it for a for a, a bigger purpose. But then again, it, you, you could go and ask everyone, and they might go, "I don't want to fucking know about your stories." Like, come on, I hear you talking. <laughs> I hear you talking all the time. Shut shut the hell up. I don't want. <laughs> so you might go, "Oh damn. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll turf that one." <laughs> I think that's why it also stays on the list so that I know it's something to motivate me to go back to. If you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's uh, good. Yeah. It's it, it's just a. I think it's a good reminder because just to just to force you to reflect, even if you don't end up you know doing it, 
you know, whenever you see that, you sort of, you're forced to start thinking about things from over the years and different events and stories and all that sort of stuff. And that might spark a conversation that you have with somebody nearby to you. And, and, um, I think a lot of us don't, don't often reflect on things, you know, we're always sort of, you know, going back to the start of what we were talking about earlier, you know, tonight, like scrolling through news feeds on, you know, Twitter or Facebook or whatever, and just seeing all the shit all the time. And you're just constantly sort of distracted by what's going on around you. And you just don't really get the opportunity to look inwards. So maybe that's why it's on your list is just to, to give you that reminder, just to keep looking inward and reflect. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, uh, hopefully it will get done. Hopefully everything on my list will get done one day. But uh, it it also keeps growing. I'll so see why like, I read into it. If I think of something that's cool, I'll probably add it to it. Like the smoke up of Snoop Dogg and Cypress Hill until like a year, been a year and a bit ago, it wasn't on my list. Because <laughs> I'm not a heavy drug user. Like I've smoked weed here and there, but I was watching something. Uh, uh, it might have been that movie with Matthew McConaughey and Snoop Dogg. Can't remember what it's called. Yeah, Beach, know. Beach something. Okay. But uh, it, it, I saw it and I thought, oh, Snoop Dogg's a cool dude. <laughs> I want to smoke with him. <laughs> and then I thought to myself, well, like if I'm going to do it with him, I'm going to do it with Cypress Hill. Hell yeah. I'm going to get insane in the membrane. There you go. <laughs> I'm just imagining you backstage at like, they're, they're doing some sort of jewel tour. You, you're, you're backstage, you're talking to them and you're trying to get them to say, hey, can you go out on stage and just say, hey, you know, this one's for Tom or whatever. And you're in the same position that you were with the chili peppers. <laughs> and before you know it, you're on side of stage you you're stoned off your brain, and then you don't know what's going on, and suddenly Snoop Dogg starts shouting out your name. Well, and I'll and 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 it'll pop up on Facebook, and I'll go, "Well, there you go, it happened." It will go to me. What song do you want to hear? And I'll yacht like another rapper's song because I don't know it. <laughs> Hey, there we go. Now go and reach out to Tom, say hello to him. I'm going to have links to uh, all of his uh, social media pages in the show notes over at andysocial.net and andydowling.net. Um, and I'll have uh, some of the other stuff that we spoke about in this episode. Um, who knows what we, I can't even remember now. It was a very long conversation. So if I don't have particular things in the show notes that we spoke about, please let me know. Give me a little nudge and I'll add it in there. But uh, everything will be in the show notes over at andysocial.net and andydowling.net. And of course, Whatever you're listening to this through right now on your podcast player, it could be uh, Apple Podcasts or Spotify or YouTube, Overcast, Stitcher, whatever, uh, there should be a little description, some show notes in there. You should be able to click through and say hello to Tom as well as everybody else that's been on the podcast over the past five and a half years. And uh, as as we sort of, uh, I can't remember if it's in the, in the final edit of this uh, podcast, but um, towards the end, I mean, we could have kept talk, talking for a- ages. I mean, between the two of us, both... Uh, blabbermouths um we we could have uh, been going late 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 into the evening uh so i think i might get tom uh, back on sometime later this year because uh, there's he's got plenty of stories to to share and and he's, he's just got a great outlook on life so um uh, i think I, I definitely need a bit more of that in my life and i hope some of you guys feel the same way too so hopefully get tom back on later later this year as well 
Uh, so before we wrap it up, uh, Patreon, of course, patreon.com slash Andy Dowling. Great way to support the podcast. Uh, looking for plenty of $1 supporters. Uh, it's nice and easy. $1 a month. It's nothing. It's like hardly anything. But when many of you join, your powers combined become Captain Patreon. Something like that. I've been using that way too much often, by the way. I've been using the powers combined thing. I might have to just uh, retire that shortly. But uh, Patreon is just huge for, for me and the podcast. And, and for you guys that have been listening for a long time, you know what I'm going to say. It's just, it is the reason why this podcast exists this year in 2021. It's the reason why there's two episodes a week. Um, it's just so much fun and I'm getting so much fuel and motivation from the Patreon community. Um, the money is, is a massive help. It, it covers a lot of the overheads of production, editing, um, hosting, um, gear, all sorts of stuff that sort of just creeps up gradually, creeps up over time. And uh, so that takes a, a, a massive load off. But uh, more importantly, it's just uh, it's a it's a lovely validation and uh, and some fantastic motivation for me to continue just uh, persevering, persevering and sharing some amazing episodes like this one with Tom as well. So go and check it all out over at patreon.com slash Andy Dowling. would absolutely love to have you, give you a little shout out on the podcast. And uh, if you are interested in free shit uh, or the uh, exclusive Patreon podcast that comes out every Tuesday morning, um, then you can uh, sign up to one of the uh, higher tiers, one of the additional tiers there and uh, get access to a bunch of other stuff on there as well. So go and check it all out. Uh, who's coming next? Now, I have I have a bunch of people recorded. I've got a list of people. Um, there are still a stack of uh, of musicians that are coming up, um, but I've got one that I'm recording tomorrow night. At the time of um, of of recording this outro, I'm, I'm recording somebody really cool, uh, in my opinion, anyway. And I just if if it goes ahead, because sometimes in these in these in this podcast game. You, you lock something in, you commit to something, and then it just doesn't always happen. So if it does happen, and it is good, then I might put that out next. So we'll see. So until then, folks, take care and ta-ta. Larry. Larry, please. <laughs>